They say you should have a good doctor, but you hope you never have to see them. Well, America needs a great doctor, and today we talk to her on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. It was estimated in 2020 that 25 million Christians did not participate in presidential elections, 65 million did not participate in local elections, and 15 million were not even registered to vote. We can see the horrifying results of our failure to vote every time we turn on the news. Are you registered to vote? The most basic patriotic action an American citizen can take, an American Christian can take, is to vote. Go to vote.gov and learn how to register to vote in your state today. That's vote.gov. You can find the link in the show notes for this podcast. This is Sean Griffin from The Grid reminding you, Patriots, vote. Welcome to this week's News and Review. As always, there's more news than actual time to report. So President Biden proposed new rules to the Title IX and was bombarded with a record number of comments from concerned parents. Why? Well, that's because Title IX protects against sex discrimination in schools, but now its proposed expansion would include sexual orientation and gender identity. It would require schools and colleges to allow biological males to compete in girls' sports and use bathrooms and locker rooms that correspond with a student's gender identity. No wonder a record amount of comments have come from parents. We've seen this coming for a long time, all the way back to the Civil Rights Act. When that was passed, no one ever foresaw that gender identity or sexual orientation would be used in the same breath as racism. But folks, that day has arrived. Where in the world will this stop? Well, I don't know, but maybe we should ask Sodom and Gomorrah exactly how this turns out. In foreign news, a newly announced senior advisor to President Biden, John Podesta, referred just a few years ago to a top Chinese Communist Party official as, quote-unquote, his friend, and he took several phone calls from him between 2015 and 16 while serving as the chairman for Hillary Clinton's failed presidential run, at least according to emails reviewed by Fox News Digital. Podesta will now serve as the senior advisor to Biden for Clean Energy Innovation and implementation, and guess what? He gets to oversee a budget of approximately $370 billion. This administration doesn't even try to hide its corrupt nature anymore. Oh, and in Trump news, the DOJ has appealed a portion of the ruling regarding the appointment of a special magistrate to review the documents seized at Mar-a-Lago. The DOJ does not want to stop reviewing the documents while the special magistrate goes through them. Um, isn't that the whole reason for the special magistrate in the first place? To determine exactly what the DOJ has a right to look at? I digress. And in hypocrisy news, oh my, the folks in Martha's Vineyard are freaking out about illegal immigrants being dropped off there, as somehow this is soiling the plush estates of the ultra-elite. While I'm sad that illegal immigrants are being used as political pawns back and forth, something has to be done. Texas, Arizona, and other border states are being told immigration is completely under control 
and that they should be part of a country that welcomes in all foreigners. This debacle is almost beyond description. Thousands upon thousands of illegal immigrants are flooding through Del Rio, Texas, a town of 36,000 people. And somehow they're supposed to be able to handle the influx of these folks and use local resources to take care of them. But stop the presses when a busload of 50 immigrants is sent to New York City, a city of 8.4 million people, suddenly the entire welfare infrastructure is strained. In the words of John McClain and Die Hard, welcome to the party, pal. In inflation news, the Biden administration flexed its muscle in playing hardball with the railroad union. Those White House folks are tough negotiators indeed. It's reported that railroad workers are getting the equivalent of $11,000 bonus and a 25% raise. Now, I have a friend who works for the railroad, and I'm all for him getting a wage increase that he likely deserves, so long as those wage increases are not gobbled up by executives and union cronies. What I do have a problem with is the administration doing it in this way. Overall, I have an issue with unions that receive payments from the federal government being able to negotiate their wages with the very cash source that funds them, and the rest of the taxpayers having to foot the bill. More inflation. Thanks, Joe. In 1981, President Reagan fired 11,359 air traffic controllers that went on strike through their union. Reagan's response was, Hey, public safety workers don't have a right to strike. You know what the difference between Reagan and Biden is? Reagan believed that unions represented workers who served the people. Biden believes the union represents people who should serve and vote for him. For this week's News and Review, that's a wrap. Well, Sean, we are here today because there is something very near and dear to my heart and to your heart, and that is getting involved in the political process. We both have believed it's very important, but I want, I want our audience to hear some of your heart. Why do you think Christians should get involved in politics? Why is it important? There's so many different reasons. One of the reasons that we need to be involved politically in the United States is because God has given us a country where it's run by we the people. The government is on us. It's a participatory thing. We don't have a king. We don't have parliament. That's a completely different structure, even though you are supposed to participate in that. But it rests on us. We select the candidates, then we vote on the candidates. The whole process is based on us voting. And then we vote on representatives. And then they do their things. And if we don't participate at the very bottom level with our vote, then I fully believe that we're in sin against our own country and we're violating what God calls us to do when it comes to the government. And if you look throughout scripture, from beginning to end, the one thing that he is constantly dealing with is the leader of the country. I think that's fantastic. And you know, and as you said that, something that came to my mind is the fact that the Lord told the Israelites that they were in sin by choosing a king. And as we look at kings throughout history, of course, there's good kings, but in general, kings typically range from somewhat autocratic to completely tyrannical and insane. We see that. The Lord's preferred method was judges. And when I think of judges, I think of justice and the importance of law. And we see that throughout through Scripture, that the law was fulfilled, that there is a law, the law of sin and death, but Jesus satisfied that on the cross. It didn't make the law go away. 
But anyway, as I kind of wrestle with that, I'm thinking, you know, the adherence of law, the rule of law and order is something that's very important to the Lord. Now, it's in a symbiotic relationship with mercy and mercy trumps that. Anyway, as you just talked about that, Sean, that's kind of what came to my mind. I totally agree. You know, so one of the things that we are excited to have the opportunity with at the Kingdom Patriot Group was to introduce our audience to Dr. Sherry O'Donnell, a full-time physician here in Southwest Michigan who is running for Michigan's 5th District in the U.S. House of Representatives because she felt called by the Lord to do so. And Sean, we had a plan, didn't we? Yes, Chris, we sure did. It's a good, solid plan, too. It was a plan. I like that. It was a plan in which we were going to follow her candidacy, learn from her, but we're also going to get to know her. And if you remember, if you've listened to our previous podcast, you did get to hear a little bit from Dr. Sherry. And then we also wanted to dive into her policies, what made her a good candidate. When we talk about Christians becoming involved, why did she fit that bill? And we did that as well. We learned about her policies, and ultimately, we endorsed her. Now, it wouldn't be complete if we didn't come back and inform the audience kind of what happened, sort of put a capstone and a conclusion on this. And it turns out on August the 2nd, Michigan's primary, Dr. Cheryl O'Donnell garnered almost 30,000 votes, 33% of the vote, and ultimately fell short of unseating the incumbent, Tim Wahlberg. But I will tell you, having personally talked to Sherry, that she got a lot of positive feedback from consultants that talked about really her infancy into the political world. I won't dive too much into what the consultant said. I'll let Sherry do that. But we wanted to put sort of a bookend or kind of a capstone of this candidacy because we have been following her. And we wanted to let our audience hear directly from Sherry what she learned, the successes, the failures, the challenges, and the big question whether or not she's going to run again. What do you think, Sean? I am so looking forward to our audience hearing what she had to say. All right. Well, let's listen to this interview when we return. You're listening to The Grid, a podcast production of the Kingdom Patriot Group. You can find us on the web at kingdompatriot.us. Join us in the fight for faith and freedom. Mondays on your favorite podcast platform. So today we have Dr. Sherry O'Donnell with us to talk to her about her congressional campaign. Sherry was running for Michigan's U.S. House of Representatives 5th District, and the primary just completed. Hey, Sherry, I'm so glad you could join us today. Good morning, Chris. I'm glad to be here again. I know our listeners are are very excited to hear just some of the things that you have to say now that the campaign is concluded. And I know that the, that the, the ultimate race didn't finish exactly like we had hoped, but from all the feedback that I've gotten for somebody who was a first-time candidate, never been in politics before, and had to traverse the entire east-west corridor of the southern part of Michigan, that the results were very impressive. Can you speak to that? You know, Chris, as you said, it was pretty disappointing and quite honestly surprising. It was a very, very large district, but I really... I expected to win. And I know most candidates, of course, are in it because they think their chances are pretty good at winning. Mine went a little beyond that. I really believed I was going to win. Definitely disappointing. But, you know, I think the important thing is, and I kept telling other people and other candidates across the district also, just keep due north. And what I meant by that is just keep our eyes focused on the Lord and let him do what he will along the way. So for me, it was Definitely a first experience. But as you said, the political analysts that came by and evaluated our campaign afterwards said you can't possibly be disappointed. 
I garnished almost 40,000 votes. And they said that that was more than Peter Myers won on. And we had a huge district. And the redistricting was right before really the midst of our campaign. And the redistricting was in a lot of territory. So it meant covering a lot of ground. It was three and a half hours from one, one direction to the other. But when you look at the political analysts and they say, you know what, you can't not run again. You ran a fantastic campaign. And look at how many lives and people you touched that you got to vote for. You, when your name was not known before now. So if I listen to that, Chris, it is, it is encouraging. But it certainly wasn't the results that, that we had hoped. Well, really appreciate you just sharing that because there's a difference between hope and belief. And I, I know that your belief was that you were going to win this. So as, as you went through this process, where did you see God's grace evident as you ran this campaign? Chris, there were so many ways in which we did. As a matter of fact, when I would meet with my volunteers, there was several months ago, I kind of got their Sarah Spence up and I said, guys, guess who I met along the campaign trail? And of course, I had their keen interest at that point, And I teased it a little bit and worked it for what it's worth. And I said, I keep, I said, I met God and I keep bumping into God on the campaign. There were so many evidences of his grace, you know, going into meetings that you know, we're uh, in Tim Wahlberg's territory more and suddenly being able to speak and have the audience just literally change because they're realizing hope and they're realizing that they did have a choice. Um, his grace there, his grace with even the weather when we traveled back and forth, his grace so much with the campaign volunteers. We had such great volunteers and, and people along the way that, you know, would open their homes to us. And we had support in every county. Um, people that had never met us and said, if you need a place to stay, because they realized we had a great distance to travel, please know that my home is always welcome. And and we took opportunity to stay in many of those homes. So God's grace when we had a financial need. You know, it's like our budget was not what Mr. Wahlberg's was, but suddenly, you know, somebody come up and hand money towards you know, the amount that we needed to cover that item. His grace was so sufficient. So if there was a, a couple of things that you learned, what would that be? If you said, boy, I, I, I really learned a, a nugget here that will serve me well in the future. One of the things that we found was paramount was, and, and you know this, Chris, because you and Barbara were part of it at times. We had a prayer team, an intercessory prayer team. That prayer team met every single Saturday from eight until whenever, whether it was snowing, rain, it didn't matter. Whether I was in town or not, it didn't matter. That prayer team was vital. And there were times throughout the campaign that occasionally I'd call them and say, guys, I need this covered in prayer. I would not do this again without that key, key thing in place. And that was, you know, we had that from the get-go. Christy Key set that up for us. And we had a good dozen people every single Saturday. I guess the other things that I learned, and I'm, there was just your team of volunteers have to be in place and your team has to be organized. You know, we were able to pick up pointers as we went because certainly we were very naive at this, but pick up pointers and think, oh, you know what, we could have done it better this way. So there were things that just getting your campaign um, organization and getting your team of volunteers. I think looking for some of the endorsements early, that I think was difficult in and of itself because what we heard time and time again was that the endorsement, unless the incumbent did something egregious, 
the endorsement was going to go to the incumbent because they had endorsed in the past. So even, for instance, the right to life, I met with Karen Scott down in Washington, D.C. We connected on a very deep level and um, even had the opportunity to pray with her. And as we left, she said, I wish I could give the endorsement to you, but I can't. We've endorsed him for years. And unless he's done something just egregious, we'll continue to. So there were like endorsements that I felt like I could have and should have had. But I think trying for some of those endorsements early would be would be important. I think procuring your local GOP support earlier on is important. The local GOPs cannot endorse a candidate, um, although Hillsdale did. And I think they could if they chose to. But the local GOP really needs to be backing you as well. That's really good information. Was there anything, I I didn't prep you for this question, so I'm going to preface it with that. Is there anything that was really surprising to you that you weren't expecting as you went through the campaign that was a little bit left field? Chris, I think you need to be watching your radar and realize that even those that say that they are godly and serving the same king that you are, are not always your friend. And I think you need to be aware of who's a friend and who's not. There were things that came up during this campaign from from Tim Wahlberg's campaign that was very surprising to me at times, especially being said that he was um, you know, a pastor and he had the most conservative vote and so on. Some of those things stung and stung deeply, but I think it's important to know truly who, be full of discernment. Chris, probably the most important thing is I'm, and as I'm considering this, I remember some advice that I actually gave to Kim Lasada. Kim called me and just said, Doc, where do you get your strength from? I know you're working full-time in your office, and yet every time I see you, you are just on fire. Where do you get your strength from? And one of the things I told Kim, I said, Kim, no matter what, know the foundation on whom you stand and know your whys, W-H-Y, know your whys. If you're standing on the firm foundation, no matter what, you'll not be shaken. And when you know your why, I said, for me, it's my faith in believing that God has called me to this. For you, perhaps it's your family. Perhaps it's your faith. Perhaps it is your, you know, your, your constituents. But you've got to know your whys in the battle. Because when the battle does occur, you'll just go simply back to that why. Okay, it doesn't matter. This is why I'm running. It doesn't matter. This is on whom I'm standing. So that was probably not only the key advice I would give, but also the main staying power for me. When those tough times came, it's like, you know what? I'm going to look due north because I know why I'm doing this and I know on whom I stand. That is great advice. As you mentioned, just Tim and his campaign, you know, the scripture that came to my mind is being wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. But I think the Lord does call us to discernment and Another thing you said that I thought really stuck out as well was that you had to learn these things as you were going. Do you think the campaign has uh, has different speed, different momentum if you were to run again, and now you know all of these things and you're not having to learn as you go? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we were a little disappointed the primary was when it was. <laughs> and everybody said, Doc, give us another month. And Absolutely. Absolutely. We had much more momentum and steam. We understood the direction that the campaign needed to go in and was going, as opposed to those first 
couple months went, okay, what do we do and where do we go and how do we, you know, tie in going to the GOP and going to the events versus going and doing the door knocking and going and meeting the people? Absolutely, Chris. Uh, that's that's good to know. Well, I I've mentioned to you as well that you know one of the things that Sean Clay and I want to do here with the Kingdom Patriot Group is really encourage godly people to get involved. And there has been a movement over the years that says Christians should not get involved in politics. Yet I can see no biblical reason to support that. Otherwise, I don't know why Scripture would talk so much about. David as king, obviously he was in government because he ran the government and you and the judges who were given authority to rule over Israel. So we certainly see the Lord's hand not afar, but yet deeply involved in the governing of his people. And so we've really wanted to encourage people to run, encourage people to get involved, because our country has departed from some of those Judeo-Christian values. And we keep electing leaders who are soft in that arena. And I don't know why we're surprised that we get laws, rules, and regulations that don't reflect that when we're not electing people that reflect that. So anyway, we're really encouraging people to run. And so one of the things that we really wanted to ask you is what advice would you give to someone or or maybe not one piece of advice, but several pieces of advice for someone who is considering running or believes they may be called to run? What would you say to them? If not you, who? If not now? win. Chris, we've got to stand up. And I couldn't echo what you just said more fervently. The Judeo-Christians, the conservative Christians, have to take our country back. The country is going in a direction that we do not want it to go. I met somebody at Hillsdale when I was doing some campaigning there. This gentleman came up to me and said, you don't know my political affiliation. Where do you see the United States in five years from now? I looked at him and said, sir, that is a very unfair question. And not answering as a politician, but answering as a conservative Christian, because we are at a fork in the road. And unless the conservatives stand up, we'll not be at a good place. And I asked him, I said, do you remember 9-11? And of course, everybody that was alive and of age knows exactly where we were, exactly what we were doing when we found out about 9-11. And I said, but sir, do you remember 912? And he looked at me with a little puzzled look. And I said, sir, we came together as true Americans. It didn't matter the color of your skin. It didn't matter your political affiliation. It didn't matter your religious affiliation. We came together as Americans. Our churches were filled. People were saying, God bless you. People were praying one for another. And I said, 912 was amazing. I said, but sir, if the conservatives do not stand up and take our country back, I see a Venezuela in our future, and that's not five years from now. Wow. You know, as you asked that question, it made me visually think where I was on. I remember exactly where I was in 9-11 as I played basketball that morning before I went to work at a, at a hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas. And we were on central time, so it was, it was, it was a little, little different time in the morning. But I remember 9-12. And I remember some of the people that I thought were the most partisan at the national level in Congress, Tom Daschle, Dick Gephardt, and those guys, how they did come together. It was short-lived because the coming together was based on tragedy. It wasn't based on uh, unity and values. But I remember that. And boy, I was proud to be an American because all those things were put aside and we saw true unity for a brief moment in time. Absolutely. 
you know, so where do I see the, Ju- the Judeo-Christians having to stand up? First off, Acts 1-8 is a great missionary verse, right? First will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Well, when you go back and look at that, they actually compared Judea and Samaria and pointed out, when you do a deeper dive on those scriptures, pointed out the differences in those cities. And it wasn't just geographical increase in size. It was the cultural differences, the financial differences, the religious differences. And he was saying, get involved at this level. We cannot not get involved. He said, first, you'll be my witnesses. If we're not in those arenas, we cannot be those witnesses. And we have to lead our country in a godly way. We were created one nation under God. And unless we get back to that, we're going to lose our our identity as a great nation. And we're already rapidly losing that. But we will lose the freedoms in which we all have grown accustomed to and have unfortunately even grown and taken it for granted. That's well said. So I'm going to ask you one more question that I, that I, that I didn't prep you for because the listeners want to know, are you running again? Absolutely. Wow. You didn't really hedge there at all. Did you? (laughs) Chris, I will be, you know, these past couple of weeks has just really been a time to step back and pray and seek the Lord and wait on the doors that he will open. But will I run again? Absolutely. One of the scriptures that first came to me when I realized that I didn't win, and like I said, I was not only disappointed, I was surprised. Even going into it, our polls showed us ahead. So, you know, it's kind of a stun when, when you realize that you, that you didn't win. So taking a step back, one of the first verses that came to mind is, to whom much is given, much is required. Chris, I learned so much this past year. I have absolutely no regrets. But I've, I've learned so much. I've met the great patriot groups across our state that are popping up and saying, no, we are fighting for our country. In that process, I know I've been given much. And as a consequence, to whom much is given, much is required. I really appreciate that and excited to hear that you're going to run again. Thank you. I'm counting on you again. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, if we're, if we're available... And God hasn't, you know, made some changes that we're not aware of. We will, we will be there to support you. Thank you, Chris. Because uh, we support you as a candidate, but probably more importantly, we will support you as as a person. We know you represent those values. We know you feel called of the Lord, and you have a deep burning desire to see change in the right direction, just like we do. So you certainly could count our count on our support. Thank you. You know, again, the thing that was really the most humbling for me was seeing the support of so, so many people, um, fantastic people had shared our same values. And I think, Chris, you know, the other thing that I had to deal with was the disappointment. And not only the disappointment for me personally, but initially I felt like I disappointed a lot of people. And I know when I stop and think about it with my brain, no, intellectually, I know I didn't disappoint people. But when you have almost 40,000 people go cast their vote for you. And the people that I met along the trail, the people that were so, so hopeful, and that doesn't happen. I carried the weight of me disappointing those people. And I think even you've got to know what to do with those great moments that you're totally encouraged, but you also have to know what to do with those moments that are a little bit discouraging. I can honestly say most of the campaign was very encouraging, very invigorating, very empowering. You know, I did run my practice full-time and people were saying, how are you doing it? 
Well, number one, I know certainly motivated and, and fanned by the Holy Spirit. But more than that, or equally as, as personally, it was very encouraging to see those people that got behind you because that was, that brought great, um, empowerment, you know, and you realize that, wow, they're, they're really hoping that you're going to do this. Um, you know, and then being able to take that back to the Lord and say, Lord, that was, that was a win, you know, prepare me for what's next. So it's important to know what to do with those discouraging times, but also know what to do with those encouraging times. Jared Key said something to me early on, and I would just keep that in focus and just tell myself as well as other candidates, hey, just keep your eyes due north. Keep your eyes due north. What Jared said was, don't believe your own press release. Okay. So, you know, when you had a great evening, that's okay. Put it in perspective. When you had a discouraging evening, that's okay. Put it in perspective. And remember, you know, and then Jared said, you know, just don't believe your own press releases. For me, it was coming always back to my why. Why am I doing this? Because it, at times the schedule was intense, but continue to come back to my why. That's great advice from Jared. I, I'm making notes here because I, I think those are principles that go beyond a congressional campaign. Thank you so much for just taking uh, some time just to chat with me and kind of uh, putting a bookend on this particular campaign, but not a bookend on your political career. Definitely look forward uh, to seeing what the future holds. Thank you so much, Chris. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, you must get involved. So, Sherry, one thing that we didn't touch base on was really the David and Goliath aspect to this campaign, specifically in the area of raising money and donations. Can you talk a little bit about your campaign's budget and the budget of your opponent, Tim Wahlberg, and what kind of challenges that creates? Chris, that was probably one of the discouraging things, if you will, and that Tim truly has a war chest at his disposal. First off, a lot of the things that is sent out in mail comes through his congressional office, so it doesn't even tap into his campaign budget. But we had about a $250,000 budget, and Tim had an over $2 million. But as you looked at his FEC, what you were seeing was corporate donations, because he has been in office, corporate donation because he was the incumbent, of forty dollars and $50,000 at a pop. Wow. We can't begin to compete with that. So that was discouraging. So we just had to be much more vigilant on what we did spend our dollars on and where we thought it was most prudent to spend that money. I thought during the campaign, and not because I was the grassroots, but I thought how much money is actually wasted on the campaigns, Chris? Liz Cheney had spent more than $17 million on a single candidate campaign. If we cap that, and then took any overage and put it towards our national debt, how much more quickly could we get our debt down as opposed to continuing to spend? But it certainly did not equal the playing field. And there was definitely um, a difference in the leverage available because of the finances. Actually, when you say that, Sherry, that this is exactly what comes to mind. I tend to be a stats person, so I kind of think that way. But I'm thinking, wait a second, you had one-tenth of the budget and probably – one twentieth of the awareness, and you garnered one third of the vote. That's amazing. That's what the political analyst said, Chris. So you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we worked. You know, we couldn't outfinance them, but I do think we outworked them. I, I really believe that we outworked them. 
Yeah, I know because I'm I, obviously I'm in the fifth district that the only exposure I ever had to your opponent was in the last two to three weeks of the campaign. I got no less than six large size postcards t- touting him as, you know, the candidate. And that was it. That was all I had ever, ever heard from him. Yes. And like I said, we had a greater constituency of volunteers. We had, you know, just harder working. And, and quite honestly, I know I'm younger and have more energy. And I thought that served us well, but unfortunately not enough to get the winning vote. But yes, I think we definitely outworked him and he outspent us. And Chris, you, you're missing at least three. I got nine of his postcards. Oh, okay. Well, maybe, maybe I, uh, maybe my kids use them for, uh, to start our bonfire in the backyard. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that is really amazing. That does show that in, in your campaign, the dollar value, or I should say the vote value of the money you did spend was far more effective than, than the dollar spent by his campaign. But it still, it does take money. So that'll certainly be, um, an important part of the next go around. Very much so. Well, Sean, you got to hear Sherry in her own words, all that encompassed her campaign and what she learned about it and the advice that she would give. Are you inspired? I am. I really, really like Dr. Sherry O'Donnell. And sometimes I wish I lived in Michigan so I could actually vote for her. But we try to do things legally. So I'm staying in Texas. (laughs) We do advocate the legal voting process. Election integrity is important to us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, um, there were a couple of things that really stood out to me uh, that she said, and, and it was all good. First of all, that district, three and a half hour drive across that district, that's repulsive. That is ridiculous. A lot of people don't realize the unintended consequences of decisions that you make. And so, that district was redistricted by an independent commission in the state of Michigan, as in most states, because of gerrymandering rules, who at whatever party's in power is the one that does the redistricting. But in Michigan, that was redone because, honestly, I think because they thought that Republicans were gaining too much advantage. So this independent commission was formed where it's supposed to be made up of nonpartisan folks who end up doing that redistricting as a committee, sort of the work by committee. And they're the ones that did this redistricting. And I just find it hard to believe that there wasn't a partisan nature in making one of the Republican districts span that kind of geography. It's the entire bottom of Michigan from one side to the other. From Great Lake to Great Lake. Crazy. The other thing that really stood out to me is just a little tidbit that she said was about getting the GOP engagement early on getting the party engaged early on. That was a very good insight. Yeah, for sure. And then I would say the advice. Man, I was listening. Remember the first time that I heard the interview, I was driving in the car. And when she got to the part about, if not you, who? If not now, when? I'm going to tell you, it brought a tear to my eye. That was a congressional candidate encouraging folks to run. That was awesome. It sure was. Good stuff. Well, Chris, I want to turn the tables on you. You and Barbara and the girls participated in the campaign. So you got some inside look at a campaign that a lot of people don't necessarily do, unless, of course, they're watching TV. And then a lot of times it's fictional. 
What were some of the things you experienced that might be helpful to our listeners? Boy, that that's a great question. Um, there was there's several things. Uh, the first is if, and I'm going to take the perspective of our listeners are thinking about supporting a campaign, not necessarily running themselves. So I'm I'm going to really take it from that viewpoint because that was the role that I served in this particular campaign. Yes. You have to pick a candidate that you know and that you trust and that you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, reflects the Judeo-Christian values that we hold dear. So you got to check that box first, because otherwise, the grueling nature of a campaign, you're not going to be committed. You're not going to be there for the long haul um, because you're not going to want to sacrifice for somebody that you're just feeling so-so about. Sherry checked those boxes. So that was a pretty easy one. Um, So that would be the first thing. The second thing is, and I think she mentioned this in the the interview, is money. Because what I saw in this particular campaign, and I learned a lot, I don't know if it's true of all campaigns, but the campaign itself is made up of volunteers, right? But the vast majority of people, at least if you believe the statistics, that 96, 97% of the population, or at least people in the workforce are employed. So they have jobs during the day. So it's very difficult to volunteer. So you end up with uh, a whole mix of folks uh, who are retired and who believe strongly about our country or students who have time between classes or don't have quite this, quite the same schedule. And I saw that with Sherry's campaign, that her volunteers, there were some definitely movers and shakers in her campaign, some friends of ours who were heavily involved and found time in their schedule when they really had none. Yet they, they really were instrumental behind the scenes in coordinating and putting events together. Uh, in fact, I'll just have to give a shout out uh, to the Keys because they, they were fantastic. That being said, a lot of the volunteers fall into those categories. They could be, they could be young students, moms and single people who don't have full-time jobs or retired folks. And, and I may not have gotten that accurately or completely accurately. That's just what I kind of observed. So I think that's why when you have volunteers that don't really span necessarily across all the age spectrum, you also got to utilize technology and you have to have money to do that. And I think that's where Sherry would tell you, you know, in order to get the endorsement, in order to get fundraising, you need the GOP to be participating early on. You need to get the support of your local GOP because that money is pretty important. Tim Wahlberg, although he did defeat Sherry, I never saw a single Facebook video ad or anything from him. And Sherry did that really well. What he did have is two weeks before the vote, uh, the primary on August 2nd, I probably got six very large postcards. I'm not talking about three by fives. I'm talking um, like six by nines type of size. I mean, they were very, very large. So those who weren't as familiar with Sherry because of the wide geographic nature of this district are just going to see that. And by getting multiple of those, it creates a little bit of, I guess, memory reflex, so to speak. So, so those are some of the things that I saw. Oh, that's really good stuff. What I hear from you saying is you've got to have a passion for that candidate. Yes, you said it much more succinctly than I did. <laughs> uh, you <laughs> well, I know that there were a number of times that you hopped in the car and you took a long drive to go to wherever the uh, current campaign activity was. Yeah, you've got to have a passion for that person. What I meant to say at the top of turning the tables on you is that no one runs alone. Not everybody can be a candidate, but every candidate has got to have a team. And there are loads of tasks and loads of responsibilities and and roles that have to be filled for a successful campaign. And so thanks for sharing that. 
insight about the various things that you got to see. And I do understand that you, you and Barbara and the girls actually had a day where you went door knocking. How did that go? You know, that was, that was very interesting. So I don't mind sharing where we went. We went to actually Hillsdale, Hillsdale, Michigan, which many people probably are familiar with Hillsdale because of Hillsdale College, which is one of the premier conservative universities in the country. They accept no federal aid whatsoever. And that's just a strong conservative community. And so, yeah, we did get to go uh, door knocking, but it was interesting. I guess one, a lot of people weren't there, but number two, we saw, number one, I would say that the people who were actually home was probably about 25 to 30%. Of course, you know me, the, the walking spreadsheet, I was calculating in my mind what the uh, availability rate was of people. It was on a Saturday. But also, you all, I, I, that's where I first saw the importance of technology and make sure that you're really organized, that you're, you're really systematic, methodical in how you do those kinds of campaigns so that everybody knows what streets you're going to be on. Everybody knows which doors are going to knock on you. You do all that in advance in order to maximize efficiency. And so that was some things that I learned about. That's where technology can really play an important role. Sounds like it can save a lot of time in your strategy. I also have to tell one really cool story. It was while we were at Hillsdale, and after we had finished door knocking, it was probably 5, 5.30 in the afternoon. And again, it was about a two and a half hour drive out there. Uh, Dr. Sherry treated everybody to some ice cream out of, her, out of her own money for those campaign finance people that are listening. And it was while we were sitting there having ice cream that she got the call that Ted Nugent was going to endorse her. So that was really fun to celebrate together and see how excited she was to get a, a national voice that was coming alongside her. That was really cool. And I've got to say, the highlight of the campaign, even though I don't live in Michigan, was our getting to shoot a video of you endorsing her candidacy. That was fun. It was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed that. I hope there's more of those coming in the future. I had absolutely nothing to do with it, but I was giddy like it was all about me. <laughs> That's funny. It's true too, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, it was so. It was. It was so well done, and it was like here's our little bit that we can do to help along. That was good. Well, is there any other questions you had for me in regards to uh, the girls and Barbara participating in the campaign? I just thought it was really cool that the girls got to participate and they got to really see how our system works. I just thought that was really good and, and that they had a good time. Is there any particular advice or encouragement that you would give anybody thinking about throwing their hat in the ring? Yeah, I think there is. And then there's one last cool story that I want to, I want to share, but um, I would. I, I think you really hit on it, and that's having a strong team. I definitely learned from Sherry as she reached out and had a consultant in Washington, D.C. that was helping her. And it sounded like they were just a breath of knowledge how to navigate different steps during a campaign and to, at each stage, give sort of bite-sized chunks of here's what you need to be doing now. Here's the people that need to be doing that. I do think that uh, some other advice I would do is that you need to create that inner circle because you can't shoulder it all yourself. And I'm not saying Sherry tried to do that at all. I'm just, I see the importance of delegation and having people that are able to coordinate in different geographic areas, especially as large as this one, and really take ownership of that area. So I think that's one thing I would cer certainly give advice to. I think also Sherry would tell you the earlier you get started, the better. So you can enter the race, win the race season with momentum. So everything, every single thing that Sherry did 
was learned for the first time in this campaign. So to get momentum, I mean, it's it's like driving a stick shift and having never done it before. And you don't even know what the clutch is or what gear you're supposed to do or when you're supposed to shift. Or does the car have gas and does it have transmission fluid? I mean, all of these different things and the timing that's required, all of those things are learned the very first time you do it and then you perfect it. Well, that's just like the campaign. Sherry learned those things as she went. And so I think to do it a second time, that makes it a lot easier because a lot of those kinks you've worked out, you already know what works well, what doesn't, what you have to do, where your strengths, where your weaknesses are. So you're not learning everything for the first time. So I think that's pretty important. But you know, you mentioned my wife and my girls to tell you how invested they were. We were actually on vacation in Texas when the primary occurred. We voted by absentee ballot. And of course, that was my my daughter is uh, 18. She just turned 18 in March and is now going to school in Texas. And she was adamant that she had to have her absentee ballot so she could vote in, in the primary. So this was her first voting act as an 18-year-old citizen in the United States. And we're on vacation and we're all huddled around the phone trying to find results on August the 2nd, just continue to refresh and update and watch. The kids were so invested. They they were so excited to see the results. We just couldn't find any any good websites until the next day. So the next day when the kids found out, they were just, they were crushed. They were, they were so excited and so sure that uh, Sherry was going to win because they believed in her so much. They were just crushed. So that was kind of cool because it was a family affair and um, there was there was buy-in across, across the spectrum from, from, from our whole family. I was crushed down here as well. <laughs> I was like, what? She didn't win? That, that Yeah, I was crushed. I will toss in a bit of advice that a boss of mine gave a few years ago. I was considering a run for Congress. Nobody knows me, but I'd been thinking about it and this would happen and that would happen. And I would say I would get 1% closer to the run for office. And then at some point I quit. I took a sober look at what I fully understood about how Congress works and what a congressman would actually be doing and decided that I just didn't have the knowledge and understanding enough to be able to serve my district well. And then AOC won in New York. Mm. Well, that blew everything I didn't know out of the water. Anyway, so I spent a month or so really researching. And and one of the things I tripped over was my boss. He had been a part of some campaigns in New York and had actually moved to D.C. and worked under Tip O'Neill back in the day. The thing that he said right off the bat, if you decide to run, the first person that you need to hire is a campaign finance guy because campaign finance is tricky. And there are some things that seem okay to do that are totally illegal, but you're not going to know that. That's why you need the campaign finance guy. I was like, wow, I would not have thought about that. (laughs) So that was good advice. I think that's fantastic advice. And and again, that's just part of the team. And that may be the one of the most important. And you can see that in other areas. You know, what's the first thing that a NFL or even a college football coach does when they're hired? They assemble their staff because they know they can't do it alone. They got to have a team. I think if you're going to run, you need to start thinking about who you would have in that inner circle to help you. Both people of integrity, people that can give you different perspectives and people with experience. I think it takes a diversity of thought to really propel a campaign forward. Agreed. Well, hopefully after listening to today's podcast, number one, you've learned a little bit more about the inner workings of a campaign. But number two, 
hopefully you were inspired to think about running or supporting a campaign yourself. Not everybody can run, that's for sure. Everybody can support a candidate, even if it's something as simple as passing out a few brochures or posting on social media or sharing with your friends and neighbors. Everybody can support a campaign in that matter. Yes. Thanks for joining us today on The Grid. Till next time. Also, don't forget to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated. Your input is valued. Your voice is needed. 